To our weekly as we meet it weekly Wednesday night shear. Shears every week is the Fuhr Shlema, Skutzer Fuhr Shlema of Elisa Shlamas Bracha Bas Rachel Hinda. She have her Fuhr Shlema Kreva. Langi Gesunte Felech Yon. And she should be able to take care of her family, her children. Shalom B'Shalva. Also one of our regular listeners on Skype. A good friend. I don't have his name. We should also have a Rafu Shleim. I should feel better. There's a myriad of issues, unfortunately. Pasha's boy. Pasha's boy. Rishchidish Shvat. When they are machriz shchidishvat by, they call it out for Shabbos mevarchim. It's referred to as a shchidishvot. Pashas boy, as we said last week, is the last three makos boy gematria three. We've said many times pashas boy for those who listen in archives. The awkward conversations that Pari has with Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Akein. And in the beginning of our parsha, of course, he asked him the ironic question of Miva Mi'ahilchim, as Moshe asks for the Jews to be able to leave the land of Egypt. And Pari asks him, Miva Mi'ahilchim, who will be those that will be going? And how ironic, how silly could the question be already? How pathetic when you're being visited over and over by Moshe Bayarn. By Moshe Bayarn. And they're telling him that they didn't want to leave Egypt. They're all going to leave. And yet again, once again, he asks me, even me, help him. had his stargazers, those who were able to do their black magic, etc. And the stargazers saw, saw, they were sore after the Marcus, they saw, or they foresaw, that the Eden are going to sin. The Bicheta Egel, and 40 years in the desert and everyone will die. So Pari says to Moshe, Moshe, Mi va mi ha-hilchim gematria kolev u-ben-nun. The words, Mi va mi ha-hilchim, there's the numerical value of the names kolev and ben-nun. Pari says to Mesha, you know that only Kalev and Yeshua are going to go into Eretz Yisrael. Why trouble and take all the rest of the people? They're going to all die ultimately in the desert. And Mesha's response is, 
The decree in the desert will only be between 20 and 60 years of age. Those under 20 or over 60 will not be in the decree, and therefore the young and the old and the elders will come in with us. They will all enter the land of Eretz Yisrael Hashem. One of the biggest mistakes Pari makes is he sticks his foot in his mouth as far as it gets, as we say in America, is by telling Meshir Abeno that you will no longer see me, do not come to see me again, never face me again. And yes, ultimately, that is exactly what happens. It says Meshir, that's what's going to happen to you. There's nobody on, don't bother. There's nobody on, don't bother. There's nobody on. Don't bother. That's a good idea. Make her screen middle. Thank you. You're printing out more. Taking up all my ink. Thank you. But the markers that Mesha presents the last three Makis in this week's Parsha the Makis Cheshech Arbe Cheshech and Makis Becheres the locust the darkness and ultimately the plague that smites the eldest, the firstborn prior to sending the Arbe, prior to, prior to the plague of the locust, Moshe again comes to Pare and says to him, If you are going to withhold sending out my nation, I'm going to bring tomorrow the locust in your land. Chapter 10, verse 4. We know from prior conversations between the Almighty and Moshe, when the Almighty says, Ani I hardened his heart. Therefore, we find that the reason that Pare is not sending the Jews out is because the Almighty. Hardened Pare's heart. If that's the case, how can Moshe say that Arbe, this next plague, the plague of the locust, is a punishment for with refraining from sending out the Jews? Shemoin Atal Shaleachasami. If the reason that he's holding back, the reason that he's refraining from doing this, is because the Almighty hardened his heart. The Almighty did not leave him the freedom of choice. So we therefore have to say that the concept of Pari's punishment, the reason for Pari's punishment, for refraining from letting the Jews go, 
is in spite of the fact that the Almighty the Almighty hardened his heart. Because even when the Almighty hardened part of his heart, he did not take away entirely his freedom of choice. He still had the opportunity to repent and to, re- to send the Jews. The Alter Rebbe writes, the first Chabad Rebbe writes in the Igeres HaTshuva, in the 11th chapter of Igeres HaTshuva of his Tanya. That even Sha'af Mishinemaralov Ain Maspikin Biyodilas is Chuva. Even those who the Gimara, those who keeping score at home, Misakhtis Yuma Peheya Mid Bays in the Mishnah. Where the Gimara says that one that does something and says, I will sin and then I will repent. The Mishnah says the person is not managed to do Chuva, they don't give him the opportunity. Says the Alter Rebbe, even such a person that the Tanoim, the Holy Tanoim declared, will never be able to repent if he pushes and he strengthens himself and he overcomes the Yitzhara and he does repent and repents properly, his repentance is accepted. So even if the Almighty makes it hard for someone to repent, he still has that freedom of choice. He still has the potential to push away, to come, to repent, to do tshuva. So do we have when it comes to pari. Although the Almighty hardened his heart, and did not allow him to repent, he could have pushed this away. He could have overcome it, he could have strengthened himself, and he could have done it in an extent that he would allow the Jews to go. <coughs> but since he did not, therefore he's being punished. He may be Arbe Bigvulecho. I am bringing this plague of locust upon you. From this we have a tremendous lesson, my friends, in our own service to God. That if we see that Pari, a pure, unadulterated, wicked Rasha Gomor, and the Torah tells us that he had power and potential to repent, had he chosen to, so much so that by not doing so he is punished so much more so a Jew every single one of us has the Neshama Kedesha as a holy soul that even while sinning the Almighty is with him. And the person always has the potential to do tshuva, to repent.
we find many years ago actually I believe I've told the story before it's a story that Rebbe Friedman once you told over a yeshiva in Yerushalayim yeshivas Chaye Olam had a Rosh Yeshiva that suffered for many years he had terrible problems with his legs eventually got to a point that he was bedridden and so so bad was the situation that the doctors were considering amputating the legs Nineteen fifty-four, Tavshin Yudalit. This Rosh Hashiva's son was getting married, and there were hundreds of rabbonim, yeshiva students. Everybody came to attend this wedding, and the Rosh Hashiva asked to be carried into the hall. He wanted to be there. And one rav after the other said Advartera, said blessings of for the Chasankala, etc. And then the Rosh Hashiva himself asked to speak. As weak as the state he was in, he asked to say a few words. The place was silent. He said, when I was young, I went to yeshiva in a city called Stuchin. And in Stuchin, was a small yeshiva with 30 of us. We learned in the Bismedish. And amongst the frequent visitors to Bismedish was Ichi the Shikya. There was a nice old Jew. Unfortunately, had an alcohol problem. And Nietzsche the Shikha was always drunk. The only time he was awake, he was always in a drunken stupor, stupor, and the only time he was awake was when he was drinking more. This was Nietzsche the Shikha. Needless to say, the only ones that spoke to him were the small children would go over, they would taunt him, they would talk to him, poke fun at him. There was one winter night, we were sitting and learning in Bismedish, and this Balagola burst into the Bismedish, a wagon driver, and he was frantic. The wagon slipped off the road, toppled over, the reins are wrapped around the horse's neck and it's strangling the horse. This is his livelihood. Sabalachayim. I can't lift the wagon myself. I need help. Please, Rabbi Sai says to the Bakrim, please come and help. The Bakram deliberated. 
they discussed and they rediscussed. Uh, and they found they came to a very, very rabbinical decision that we can't be Mavatl Taylor to save the life of a horse. We can't disturb our studies, our holy studies to Taylor just to go save the life of a horse. This point, each of the shikha popped up from a stupor and he said something horrible. Bakram, he said, go right now to help the Jew before his horse chokes. If you don't, he warned, you'll never again walk on your legs. Now, I was the uh, wise guy. And I asked him, Mitchell, when did you become such a halachic connoisseur? When did you become so well versed in halacha? Who taught you all of a sudden to make the one to make surrender such a decision? We went back to the tables and we decided, no. When a short while later, he came back again, the wagon driver, crying and pleading. I went everywhere. I can't find help. Please help me. We went out. We decided we're going to go out and help him. We went out to help him. Unfortunately, it was too late. The horse had died. No. What should we do? The next morning... I came into Vismendish and they told me Itcha was looking for me. Itcha the Shikha was looking for me. I went over to Itcha the Shikha. Bonjour, you came on as I say Itcha the Shikha. There's something wrong there. Okay. I went over to Itcha the Shikha and Itcha the Shikha told me I have something to ask you. Tonight, he says, I'm going to die. I want you to be there when I do. I started to laugh. I said, huh, who are you? How would you know? But, he just said where he lived. He said, be there. So it came the evening, I took my Gemara and I went to, to the house where I figured Itcha was going to live in this hole, this hovel, and it was Taka, a hole. And Itcha was stretched out on the bed. So I sat down and I was studying and studying and studying for a few hours and finally I decided, die, time to go home. I decided to go home and I stood up and Itcha said, no, 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 where are you going? Yitzhah told him that he's going to die at 4 o'clock. Exactly 4 o'clock he's going to die and he shouldn't leave. No. Couldn't leave. Then Yitzhah told me 
Then Nature told me, tell the Chavik Kadisha, I want to be buried next to this and this person in the old cemetery. It's a very, very special and holy rabbi that was buried in the old cemetery. He wanted to be buried right next to him. I said to him, Mitchell, what are you, crazy? You're a shik, a bum, you're not even put on tefillin. I said, I don't put on tefillin. He says, go over there in the box in the corner and you'll see my tefillin. And he goes over to the box, he says, I went over to the box, I took out the most beautiful pair of tefillin. You could see these are hidurim, these tefillin. And then he just said, if the Chavrikadishas don't believe and understand that I need to be buried next to this Rebbe, go look further in the box and you'll see my manuscripts. And he looks in the box and he sees Taka. This guy wrote Kabbalistic things that he never knew and understood. He realized that this guy was a Tzadik Nister. A hidden tzaddik. Exactly 4 a.m. The Bicha was nostalgic. He passed away. He ran to the Novi, says, in the Chavikadisha, and I told him the story. And they said, there's no, no place to bury anybody there. That cemetery hasn't been used in years because it's been full. But I begged and pleaded, and they walked in, and we went there, and we found right next to this in the Zerov, was an empty spot. And that was to have been destined for Itcha. The entire town came to that funeral. At this point, the Rosh Hashiva started to cry. Started to weep. And he realizes, he says, today, until today, the last years, that the reason that his legs suffer so badly that he can't walk. It's because of the curse of this Sadiq Nister. This Lubavitch Chosid was by this wedding. He decided to write a letter to the Rebbe. And to mention the story of this Rosh Hashiva. So Rebbe Friedman wrote to the Rebbe and the Rebbe answered him that this man should go back to the Rosh Hashiva and tell him that he should start learning Chitas. He should start saying the Chumash, the Tilim and the Tanya of the day. As the Friedrich Rebbe has instituted but not only he himself should do it, anyone that he has in contact with, he should influence. And the Rebbe says, and the Almighty will bless him with the ability to walk in the literal sense too. This Chassid ran back to the Rosh Hashiva and he told him the story. And the Rosh Hashiva immediately took on to start learning Chitas daily. And a short while later, he was able to sit again normally at his desk 
the doctors totally abandoned the idea of, of amputation, and so much so that he was actually able to walk again. When he brought this letter to the Rashiva to show him what the Rebbe wrote, Rashiva begged him to let him hold on to the letter for a few days. People came from all over to talk to this Rosh Hashiva and to hear his story, and he convinced them and influenced them to sit until Enchitas. So we see that something that comes to a person's hands, an opportunity to do tshuva, so many years later, he was marrying off his own child. He was a single boy when this happened. And he was marrying off a child already. So many years later, the opportunity presented itself for him to do tshuva, and he merited to do so. I'd like to tie in also Chitas of today, actually only the Tilum and the Tanya, but it's the Chumash of Monday, because the Sikha that Rebbe spoke was on a Monday with the Rebbe tied in the Chitas of the Hine Mivi Arbe Begulecha and is the end of the Chitas and the Tanya talking about the concept of Chachma and the Tilum starting with Ashri Yishalal Ashriolach. On that day, Rishchei Deshvat Tavshim Membez, there was a Siyam Sefetera. And the Rebbe verbringed in the afternoon, suddenly. In honor of the Siyam Sefetera. The Rebbe spoke very, very, at great length about the concept of Siyam Sefetera. Hopefully we'll get to it yet. And Rishchei Deshvat being, as we know, was discussed many times, the day that Moshe Rabbeinu sat down to start writing the Chumash Dvarim. For 37 days, Moshe Rabbeinu talked to the Yidin and enunciated the Parshas of the Chumash of Dvarim. And he terminated, he finished this on Zion Adar, which is the day of his passing. But we'll jump to a different mitzvah, which is interesting because this mitzvah is mentioned in this week's parsha. Also, I'm not preparing myself to Chasvishalom, the God of the word of Tera. I try to repeat the words of Tera, but I'm not putting myself at any such level. But this portion of the Tera, this week's parsha, is it take, makes a break between the makis, between the story and the richness of what's going on in Mitzrayim, and how the Jews are about to leave Egypt, and all that's going on, all that's involved in the leaving of Egypt. And the Torah tells us the first mitzvah. The Almighty spoke, this is on chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The Almighty spoke to Moshe and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, saying, This is the 
this is how a Shredish needs to look. And the Almighty gives a commandment, the mitzvah, the first mitzvah of the Teda, the Shredish. Now, there are those people that have a tendency to walk back and forth in, da- in Shul. They don't stand in one place in Dominic. And the mental foot of us once stopped somebody and said to him, I don't understand you. You were davening over there and you didn't feel the connection to God, so you went over there. So you went over there and you still didn't feel the connection to God, so you went back here, but you know there's no connection here. What are you coming back here for? So the walk back and forth didn't make sense. But I figured out though why people walk pace back and forth in shul. Because usually a person that's pacing back and forth, nobody stops to talk to him. You're not going to stop the guy to talk. He's walking, he's going, you know, it just doesn't, you know, occasionally you'll call the guy over, or you'll try to, but it doesn't work the same. A guy who's sitting in one, one fixed place, people tend to walk over and they find, their, find something to talk about. Now, I tried to get the shul early enough not to be disturbed. So I can say the things that I need to say, learn whatever I need to learn before davening. My meeting starts at quarter to seven in the morning. So needless to say, I'm in shul about 5.40 in the morning. That's after the mikveh. Which is unfortunately not my basement. Um, but, because I sit in the same place every single morning, people, Baruch Hashem, mag- gra- gravitate. And the guy walks in and he needs to talk to somebody or he just wants to talk to anybody. And the only one that's really sitting there that's there is me, so they come over and they talk. So this morning a question was presented. We know this past Shabbos was Shabbos Mavarchim. And on Shabbos Mavarchim, before we bench the Chedesh, before we bless the new month, the Gabbai calls out the Moilid. When the new month, when the new moon is to be born, because it's calculated now to the minute to the second. I know somebody that needs to know exactly what second. He doesn't want to know the hour or the minutes. He wants to know what second. How many seconds? How many chalakim? So this month was one chalik, last month was zero chalakim. I'm sure he was devastated. I forgot to ask him about it. The melid is based on when the moon will be sighted in Israel, in the Holy Land of Israel. Based on that, since we only have 14 days to do Kiddush Devana, so it goes 14 days to the minute of when the Melit took place in Israel, which is 7 hours ahead of New York. So the fellow asked me that we're learning in today's Kitta, the Almighty is showing Moshe and Aaron the new moon. This is what the moon has to look like. 
The question is, they were standing in Egypt. We don't do it according to the Egyptian moon, we have to do it according to the Adzaldic moon. So what did Hashem show him? Now I will tell you my answer, although it's not, a, not an answer that I've seen documented, and I will admit, I will confess my profound sin today of not looking it up all day. Um, and not necessarily because I was complacent with my answer and so proud of it, that's the reason I didn't look up the real answer. Just didn't get around to it. I said to him that if you know, there's a medish that says that the Yidin had to bring the carbon Pesach. This week's parasha is, well, they tie the sheep to their beds four days before and they brought the carbon Pesach. Chazal asked, you're not allowed to bring a carbon outside of Eretz Israel. You can't bring a carbon Pesach, for sure not. So how do the Jews bring the carbon Pesach in Mitzrayim? And there's a message that says that the entire Jewish nation was transported to Eretz Israel to bring the carbon Pesach and brought back to Egypt so they can go out of Egypt. We don't ask questions of the Medrashim. So I said, based on that message, I would tell him, I told him, it's not out of the question, out of the realm, that when the Almighty wanted to show Moshe and Aaron the moon, he did so in Israel. He transported them to Israel for a moment to show them the moon. Bring the moon to them would not be, they're still not that so. It wasn't showing them where it had to be. It showed them what it's supposed to look like. It had no. It had to look like in Israel. You had to see it in Israel. It could be a feasible answer, but nobody. Uh, he didn't uh, go that direction. This guy. This commandment was told Mesha and Aaron together. Medesh Shabbat's brought down on this Pasik. Tevim Hashnayim in Echot. The Bracha, a Pasik from Kehelas, chapter 4, verse 9. Better two than one. Tevim Parashat Shinem Abishnayim, Bibashinem Abiyachit. Better. A portion of Taylor that's mentioned by two two people, then it's only one. As we see here, it says, the Almighty spoke to Mesha and Aaron. And he brings the explanation of this Pasuk. We need to understand, though. There were 13 things told to Mesha and Aaron in the Taylor. Taylor's Kahanim is brought down that 13 times the Almighty speaks to both Moshe and Aaron. Why does the Medish take this as an example to give from our Pasuk, Pasha, Chedesh Zalachem, the concept of Tev Shnayim Yechad? 
Let us understand first the mitzvah of Achidish Zelachim. The first mitzvah, the Almighty commands the Jews. So much so that it says, The Tera did not even have to start until here. This is where Tera should have started. How can you say such a thing? How can we say that the Tera should have started? From Achilles Elochem, when the Asadis Adibis, the Ten Commandments, Anaika Hashem Alekach is the beginning. That's Kabbalah Zem Achashemayim. That is the first mitzvah. That should be the first mitzvah. So why are we saying Achilles Elochem is the foundation and the point of the first mitzvah of the Torah? A mitzvah. What's in a mitzvah? What causes? What is the re, re, what is the effect of a mitzvah? The mitzvah is the concept, says Chassidus, of tzavsa v'chibur, attaching. The tachlus kavana, the reason for us doing mitzvahs, brought down in Medrash Tanchuma and Pashas Nosai. That's Lies Leidira Yisparich Lies Leisparich Dira B'Tachtenim. The Almighty should have a dwelling place on this world to take the physical world, the vessel of the physical world, and make it a place and prepare it for the spirituality and the holiness of the Almighty. So much so that it becomes a dira, a dwelling place, fit for the Almighty. Tefillin. We take tefillin, we take the, the skin of an animal, the physical hide, we make it into something spiritual. Spiritual so much so that if Hasashama falls on the floor, a person has to fast, a person kisses it. When they put it on, they kiss it. This becomes a special new concept in creation. The Gemara, for those keeping score at home in Kesubis, Tafheya Mir Aleph. Page 5, side 1. It is greater the work of tzaddikim of the righteous in this world more than the creation of heaven and earth. Because the was the creation of something from nothing. But the Maisat tzaddikim, the Teda and the mitzvahs, they cause nullification of the Yesh Agashmi and they make it into Ayin Eliki, which is a bigger thing, a greater thing. As the Gemara in Titus, those keeping score at home, 25, side 1, Ben Shemayim Yev, Yehivi Mishkal Leishikli. We find that the pale. 
they cause a direct effect into the concept of Mishkan. And therefore it's a bigger thing, a greater thing, when they make a Davar Chodosh from Ayin to Yesh. That's why HaKedish HaZelachem is the first mitzvah. The commandment on Eichi Hashem Aleikecha, the first of the Ten Commandments, although this is the foundation of keeping all the mitzvahs, in order that a person should be able to keep the mitzvahs the way it should be, that's only after the person accepts upon himself the Kabbalah's El Malchus accepts upon himself the yoke of heaven. But the concept, but the idea, the reason of Maisa Mitzvah, the Pu'ula that makes a new existence, makes a new part of the world, is an Achedish Zelachem. Chedish, the word Chedish comes from the word Chidush. Something new. And this pa'ula of this chidush of the person that's given over to whom? To tell this to B'nai Yisrael. And how is it told? Ha'chidush is Lochem. To you all. Preparing the entire world. There should be a dira yisparach le'yisparach betachtinu. In the concept of making the Dira Le'isbarak V'Takhtenim, there are two different factors. One is a Kiddush from the Takhtenim, from those below. The What's found here in this world, the physical world, which is full of Klippes and Sitra Akhra, all the things that the Al-Tarebbe brings down in Periklam, Vav, Tanya, that are against spirituality, and to make all this elevated to such a level, to elevate it, that it should become a dira, a mishkan of Hashem Yisbarach. That's through nullifying the yesh hagashmi, to nullify it to naught. And this is a chiddush, like we said, chiddush hazelachem. A second way is, the chiddush not about the person, but from the Almighty. The intention of the Almighty when he says, I want to have a dira yisparach betachtenim, I want to have a dira betachtenim, the Almighty is not talking about a spark, a ray. The Almighty is talking about atzmus muhus to become down into this world, to reveal itself into this world. <coughs> Just like a person, the Havdu, has a difference the way he stands the situation. When he goes outside and he goes inside, how a person finds himself within his own Daladamis, his own comfort zone, and reveals his whole Atzmus, so too the Dinosay Shamalach Machem Lachem Akadish Baruchu, the Almighty's dwelling in this world will be in a total at home situation. He will feel at home totally, his entire essence will come to this world. But this itself is a Kiddush. 
Because the concept of the creation of the world is the creation of Yesh Me'ayin. This creation of Yesh Me'ayin is only a ha'ore, is only a shine of the Kayach of the Almighty. It says until Bidvar Hashem Shemayim Nasu, the words of Hashem. So the creation of the world is only from a Darga Chitzenius. Just like a person talking. A person talks, it's not part of him. The words go out. But it doesn't have an effect on him himself. But by making the world a Dida for the Almighty, because the way the person works in nullifying the Yesh to the Ayin, this brings a Chiddush that the Almighty himself, the Atmos, can revere, re- reveal itself in this world. Now we understand why the Medrash chose our Pasuk, as an example of commandments that the Almighty spoke to Mesha and Aaron together, that two are better than one. Because these two Pratim, the Chiddush of Dira B'Takhtainim, As it brought down in Zayar, these are both the inyanam of Mesha and Aaron. Mesha is Shushbina, the Malka, the guarantor. This is bringing in Damshaka, the continuation of godliness into this world. And therefore, he gives the Kayak to the Chiddush of the continuation, the bringing down of the Atmos of the Almighty. However, Aaron is in was Shushbina the Matranisa of the wedding. And therefore his pale his work was to do the purity purification of the person, of the people of the world. And therefore he gives his care to the pale, the Kiddush and the things of the physical world itself, turning it from Yesh to Ayin. But we find Mesha and Aaron joined together. In the Pasha of Achidish Hazelachem. Since this Pasha hints on both services, to make the Dirabatakhtain in both ways, it's Shaykh to both the service of Mesha and the service of Aaron. The Chidish Aprati of each one of them, and that's why the Medish chooses this mitzvah to be the mitzvah that proves to us and shows to us the greatness of two is better than one. This also, therefore, is the way we find tied in, as we said before, with the concept of Asim Sefetera, which is Sefetera brings together Klal Yisrael, Yeshishim Riva Isis Latera, which is the acronym for the word Yisrael. Also, The day of Chedesh Shvat, when Meish Rabbeinu brings together Klal Yisrael, togetherness, and Meish Rabbeinu begins to talk to the last portion of Teda, the last portions of the Teda, Ashrechem Yisrael. The concept of Ashrechem, of how good it is, and this is also how the continuation of Meish Rabbeinu's words to Dover HaMelech, who Dover HaMelech starts today's Tehillim, Ashrei Ish, Ashrei Holach, 
connecting the Tera to the Parsha, to the Tilum of the day, and ultimately though, that we should be, as it says at the end, and the concept of the Tanya, which discusses the union of Chokhmah today, that the, how the Chokhmah translates to everyone, to all equally. But this ultimately, says the Rebbe, goes to the last part of the second day's Chitas of Chumash of the second day, which is that united were all the Jews as they all had light in their homes. And so too, this is a light that we anticipate with the coming of Mashiach as well. There was a family, a French family, who lived in Israel. They were already making Aliyah back then, in Nun Aleph, in 5751, 1991. The name was, was Mamus. And after Yom Tov, they stood online to get dollars from the Rebbe. Everyone got a dollar from the Rebbe. The Rebbe said, Baracha Vatzlacha. Their oldest daughter, Rivka, the Rebbe gave two dollars. And the Rebbe said, you should have good news to tell. And success in all your endeavors. At that time, none of the family members understood what the Rebbe wanted. They returned back to Israel. Several months later, Thursday, Chalamite Sukkis Rivka with her younger sister, Dina, went to Yerushalayim. There was an exposition there, a beautiful Jewish exposition. When they were done, Rivka said to Dina, you go home, I'm going to the castle. I want to go to the castle Maravi. I'll be home later. She thought nothing of it. Dina got on her bus, went home, and Rivka got on a bus to the castle. Unfortunately, That evening, Rivka did not come home. When she didn't come home, they called the police, and the police said, nah, she probably ran away. Friday afternoon, someone called them to say that they saw Rivka by the Kaisal Thursday. And and um, so they knew she didn't run away and they set out a little search and the search over Shabbos they don't hear from Rivka Shanadaba Simchas Teda they wrote to the Rebbe they told the Rebbe what happened here the Rebbe told them on Shanadaba yet there'll be good news family was quite distraught and this Chassid Mr. Mamus had to actually confess that Sukhasteda, he took the Sefateda, and yes, he danced with the Sefateda and said, I'm trying to be happy with your Teda, Sukhasteda, you must be happy. I'm asking you the happiness that I'm trying to muster up here. Make us happy. But say Sukhasteda. 
The police called and said Rivka was found. The Baruch started to shake. He couldn't believe this. And they put her on the phone. And he heard his daughter's voice and he practically fainted. But the Rebbe promised and therefore he understood that it would happen. How did Rivka get found? On Matasim Chesteda, an Israeli general, Yossi ben Hanan, and his son went to the Kaisal. They took an American writer named Herman Woke. So many people heard of him. Very famous writer. And they were going to show him around. And unfortunately, they found that there were no hakafas by the Kaisal. Israel is only one day. Shminatez was there one day. And he thought by the Kaisal maybe there would be people that are having hakafas still. But they weren't. So he said, let's go into the tunnels. Let's go see the tunnels around, behind the castle, under the castle. But they found everything was locked. But the general wanted his writer to have a good time. He wanted to show him the sights. So he had a friend over there, one of the policemen. He was on duty that night. And he got him to open the cave. He opened one of the caves. The general went in with his guest and his son into the tunnel. And as they were entering, walking around in the tunnel, which goes <coughs> under the castle, on the side of the castle, it takes as close as you want to get to the Holy of Holies, you have to go in through these tunnels. And they hear a voice, they hear a sound. Is it real? Is it not real? What's going on here? It was dark. Decided to look around and soon they found a very deep, deep dip, a deep pit in the tunnel. And they looked in and they saw a human being in there. It was Rivka. She was four days without food. The three of them saw they had no time to go call help and everything. They went down themselves. She wasn't hurt that badly, Baruch Hashem. And they took her out. She only needed one day in the hospital. This general, Berchanan, has no idea what pushed him to go see, to go tour those tunnels that night. It was closed, it was closed, they should have left it alone. They came for our covers, they were not our covers, they should have gone home. What made him insist on going through the tunnels? He has no idea. And it turned out that Rivka went into those tunnels when she came to the castle, because as we said, she wanted to be as close to the Holy of Holies as she could. And as she entered into the tunnels, she was alone without a tour group and she fell into this pit. Must have fallen unconscious. By that time they closed it. And there were no tour groups going every day. So she was uh, abandoned there. Nobody even dreamed of looking for her there. This parasha, though, talks about the service a person needs to do for Hashem, as every parasha does. 
there was a maka of darkness, a plague of darkness. Rashi asks, Loma Hevi Aleim Cheshech, chapter 11, verse 22. Why the darkness, says Rashi. Shechipsu Yisrael, Rashi comes up with an answer. The Jews searched, Viro as Kalehem, and they saw where all the Egyptians kept their riches, their money, their silver, their gold, their precious jewels. Ukeshiriyatu, when they left Egypt, <laughs> they came to the Egyptians to ask them, We need to look good, we need to have jewelry, we need to have these things. And the Egyptians said, We have nothing. The Jews said to him, I saw in my eyes, I saw myself. In your house, and it's in this and this place hidden. At this point, the Egyptian had no choice but to give it up. Rashi, as we said, used the words Shechipsu Israel. The Jews searched. However, the Medesh Tanchuma does not say that they searched. The Medesh Tanchuma says, Shayameir the Yisrael umara lahen as kol klikesef is of. The road, the place was lit up for the Jews, and every place where something was hidden, it lit, it was illuminated. Here Rashi says not it was illuminated, but rather the room was lit up, and they had to search for it. Why does Rashi differ from the Medrash and say that they searched and not that they saw it, they saw it on their own? The commandment of the Almighty was given. Litzaref Benes Abrias to let join in the creations. Therefore, when something is done in this world, it needs to be done naturally, not miraculously. In order for the mitzvah to be able to be accomplished, and to accomplish what it needs to accomplish in the world, it needs to be done full-heartedly. And the commandment of an Yitzaltim as Mitzrayim had to be done through nature. And therefore Rashi says, no. Not that it lit up by itself was miraculously exposed to them, but rather they went on a natural search. It was done through a regular by the regular eyes. The preparation of this mitzvah of taking from the Egyptians had to be done through a chippus, had to be done through physical labor, through a physical essence. And so too we cannot be complacent and rely on miraculous savings, saviors, etc. Although we anticipate and we stand and wait for the coming of Mashiach, for the revelation of Mashiach this Shabbos, 
And we'd, we'd stand and wait that we should be able to say a Chedesh Zalachem, as we already started the Chedesh. And we wait to be able to bring the Karbonis, the Nechel Shom and Azvachim and Absachim. But not through miraculous ways do we await it, but rather the Derech Ateva, the natural way that we ourselves are capable of prevailing, and this will prevail the ultimate redemption and the coming of Mashiach Tukeno. This Shabbos, Shabbat Shalom to all.